0: Proverbs chapter 4. Let me just make a comment to you before we get into this. Uh, There's a new book out, and I mentioned this on Wednesday night, by Rob Bell. Some of you are familiar with Rob Bell. He did the Zuma series, is that right? Video? What? Numa. Zuma, Numa, Vuma. The Numa series. And uh, Rob is, is at the forefront of what's called the Emergent Church, and uh, has written a lot of books, has a lot of uh, videos, that kind of thing, out. kind of a rock star in ministry, if you will. And he's got a new book out called Love Wins, and um, it's stirring up a lot in the Christian community. A lot of people are upset by it because he, in the book, is so heavily focused on just the love of God. He makes... Challenges to some of the clear doctrine of Scripture. And uh, I haven't read the book, so I can't really speak too much to it. I've only heard uh, snippets of it. I've heard some interviews with, with Rob Bell. But, but here's, here's what I'm getting at. And I just sent off an email to our shepherds this morning. Part of the problem in our world when people start to undermine Scripture, it comes with a misunderstanding, a fundamental misunderstanding of why we're here and what the whole plan of God is all about. What Bell says is the story arc, as he calls it, of the Bible, is the restoration of man and the renewal of all things. It's a salvation. And I disagree. The story arc of the whole Bible, if you want to use that phrase, is the glorification of God, first and foremost. Now that might seem like a simple distinction, man's salvation, God's glorification. But the way you view it, if you view it that man's salvation is the main thing, then man becomes the center Man is the focus of all God's doing. When it's the glory of God that's the main thing, then God is the focus of all that God is doing. That even our salvation is for His glory. Creation is for His glory. Everything in eternity is for His glory. And from that perspective, something like sin and hell and and some of the more difficult passages of Scripture become understood because an eternal, perfect, glorified, uh, flawless God in whom there is no darkness cannot abide sin. And we look at it from that perspective and from Him as a God of all glory, and we say, all right then, there had to be a sacrifice for sin. And that sacrifice was Jesus on the cross. And when we start to undermine the truth of Scripture, even to say things like, well, hell is maybe just a state of mind. Well, you're undermining not only the teachings of Jesus, but the sacrifice of Jesus. Hey, if hell is a state of mind, Jesus went to the cross for no reason whatsoever. So I'm just, these things are on my mind right now, and, and I'm, I'm working through this. There's so much uh, going on in the world today; a lot of things stirred up, not only um, mentally and theologically, and and all that, but but also just physically. The uh, attacking Libya now, and we now have three wars that our country is involved in, and um, there's just so much, you know, what's happening in Japan, everything. And so these these are truly times where where we need to be people of love and people of truth. And we cannot uh, undermine either one. And so I encourage you, as we continue to love those around us, don't sacrifice doctrinal truth for love. I don't believe the Lord does. And I believe there's a perfect balance, and and that's really what we seek. It's wonderful that we're in Proverbs, because Proverbs, being that book of wisdom, I believe can shed light on so many of these things. And can truly lead us in understanding The glory of God, God's love, God's truth, His wisdom can lead us as we try to walk out these very difficult days in which we live. Proverbs chapter 4. I'm not going to charge you for that this morning, that's free. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 1. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Thanks, John. Do not forsake her, and she will guard you. Love her. She will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom, or acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Hear my son, and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. And if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil. And they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Solomon. Solomon was just 20 years old when he became king over all Israel. My son, Corey, is 20 years old. I cannot imagine Corey as king of Israel. I mean, no offense to my son. I imagine everybody would just be, you know, playing video games. I don't know. If Corey were king. If Corey were king, <laughs> I could write a whole sermon just on if Corey were king. <laughs> what a world. You okay, what? People would be awfully nice to each other. And they'd be gentle. I don't want to go off on Corey. This is not about Corey this morning. It's about Solomon and about the Lord. Okay, back to Solomon. He couldn't possibly have known what to do with himself. A 20-year-old in charge of the great kingdom of Israel. Now this was not just any kingdom of Israel. This was Israel at the apex. This was following David's glorious rule. He had driven back all of the nations that were against Israel. Israel was strong and spreading out and powerful and wealthy. You know, the, the envy of all the surrounding nations. And here comes Solomon, 20 years old. And he is now king. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And that's what Solomon did. This 20-year-old knew one thing. He knew that he didn't know what he was doing. And so he knew he needed help, and he knew where to go. He went to the Lord. He went up to a place called Gibeon. Now at that time, though David had a tabernacle in Jerusalem and and the uh, Ark of the Covenant was there, the original tabernacle of Moses was still in Gibeon. And the altar of burnt offering was there. So it wasn't all in the same place yet. It needed to be brought together. It would be once the temple was finished. But Solomon goes up to Gibeon to the altar to give sacrifice, to pray before the Lord. And the Lord appeared to him there. And God said, Solomon, ask what I shall give you. Man, that's genie in a bottle stuff, you know? I'll give you three wishes. I mean, the Lord, what would you say? If the Lord said to you, hey, what do you want? Ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. I mean, I can think of a lot of things on my list right now. Solomon said in 2 Chronicles chapter 1 verse 10, give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can rule this great people of yours? Boy, Solomon, you started out so humble and so open to the Lord being the leader and to the people belonging to Him. And God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind and did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, or the life of those who hate you, nor have you even asked for long life, but you've asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over whom I've made you king. God says, all right, wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you. And I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you has possessed, nor those who will come after you. So I'm going to give you what you requested, Solomon, and all the more. Of all that Solomon could have requested, why does he ask for wisdom and knowledge? And the question is easily answered, because sometimes it takes not knowing what to do to know where we need to turn. That's where we are in the world today. That's why I prayed what I prayed. And Jim, you said it when I when I came in the door this morning, or when you came in, that maybe, perhaps, this world, not knowing what to do, will start to know where to turn. Will start to turn to the Lord. I know that's what's going on with Israel. I know that's what eventually is going to happen. They will get to a place where there is nowhere else to turn. As the entire world... America included, turns against Israel. And Israel has no partner country to support them. When that happens, there will be only one place left for Israel to turn. And when you don't know what to do, we need to know where to turn. And the Lord will use this in your life. He uses it in my life. You don't know what to do. And the Lord allows us to get down that road just far enough to where we say, Oh God, help me. I need you, Lord. Show me what to do. Peter understood that. In John chapter 6, verse 68, as people were leaving Jesus in droves, Jesus turns to the apostles and says, you guys want to leave too? And Peter said, and I love this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And he's absolutely right. And Solomon turns to the only one who has the wisdom that Solomon needs to rule. He could have asked for greatness, riches, or splendor, or even long life. He didn't ask for any of these. He asked for wisdom to guide guide God's people, and God throws the rest in as well. Where did he get the wisdom to ask for wisdom? Where did Solomon even think, again, as a 20-year-old, to step out and say, I don't need anything but wisdom and knowledge from you. That's what I need. How did he know to ask for this? Well, Solomon had a little help from his father. He tells us in the fourth chapter here of the Mishlei, the book of Proverbs, Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father. Give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, David, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, Bathsheba, then he taught me. Where did Solomon get the wisdom to ask for wisdom? He got it from his dad. He got it from David. David instructed him in this. His father was David. His mother Bathsheba. And as these first nine verses of Proverbs chapter 4 show us, this comes directly from the mouth of David. Solomon quotes his dad. This is what my dad taught me, and I am passing it along to you, sons. He instructed me. I thought about this, and I thought, wow, can you imagine David as a father? I mean, how cool would that be? We just finished going through the Psalms and all the writings of David and looked at the life of David and we've been thinking a lot about David and what he brings to the table. The man after God's own heart. The shepherd king of Israel. The sweet psalmist. And some might say, oh man, I wish I had a dad like that. Some of you this morning, some of you this morning look back at your fathers or may look at your fathers right now and say... Yeah, I wish I had a dad like David instead of what God gave me. Instead of the parent that I have now. Well, let's think about that. David's firstborn son, Amnon, raped his half-sister, Tamar. uh, Tamar's brother, Absalom, hatches a plot and kills Amnon. Absalom flees the kingdom... David eventually restores him out of this banishment but he mounts a coup against his father and Absalom ends up dead. David's son Adonijah in David's old age tries to usurp his father's throne and get set up as king even going so far as to try and get David's concubine to come sleep with him. Well, what would that do? Well, the kings of the surrounding nations would do that. If you could get the wives or concubines of the previous king it shows your power and authority that you're the next one to rule. David's house was as dysfunctional as they come. How many of you have had murders within your families? That kind of violence. Rape one brother against a half-sister. I mean, these ugly things happen in the household of David. And of course, Solomon himself is son of David and Bathsheba whose relationship began as an adulterous affair. This is the kind of father... David was. Man after God's own heart, yes, but dysfunctional as anyone in the world. Oh, I wish I had a father like David. Not so much. This is not the kind of family that it would be good to be a part of it when you look at what happened. And even the wording in verse 3 is, is interesting. Solomon says, when I was a son to my father, tender, and the only son in the sight of my mother. If you look at that literally, he says, yeah, I was my father's son, but I was only treated tenderly by mom. That's what he's saying. It was only mom who was tender. Mom who was the nurturer. I was my father's son, but I was mama's boy. (laughs) And Solomon very likely was kind of a mama's boy. Have you ever thought about Solomon that way? Great King Solomon? He was not like David. In fact, Solomon was probably not even David's first choice for an heir to rule over Israel. I think personally David's first choice was Absalom. Absalom, who would usurp the throne because Absalom was like David. And until Absalom murdered, until Absalom did what he did, he probably was a good choice for king because he was rugged. He was an outdoorsman like his dad, a warrior like his dad, passionate like his father. Solomon was more of a ladies' man, as evidenced by his many wives and concubines. Solomon was more of an indoor kind of a guy. You know, where, where David was a warrior, Solomon was probably more of a professor type. Rick, where are you getting all this? Well, I know the last thing that David told Solomon as he told him, you're going to be king and you're going to rule over Israel. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. Listen to David's words. He says, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Literally, become a man. Wimp. <laughs> show yourself a man, Solomon. And inherit in the language there in the relationship with David and Solomon and even in some of the writings of Solomon himself, you get this feeling that perhaps David was a little unsure of Solomon. Solomon, you're a little soft. You're a little young in your thinking. David indicates, if nothing else, that Solomon is going to have to grow up if he's going to rule this great nation. He's going to have to be a man. Now with all that said, Solomon is the one son who David clearly took some time to. To teach and instruct. In fact, one of the good things about Solomon's life is he was born after so much of the dysfunction, so much of the poor parenting of David. Solomon came after all of that, born at a later date, and perhaps by then benefited from David's wisdom as a dad who learned the hard way. Kind of like me, you know. I learned the hard way with my first three kids, and now with the new kids coming up, I know what to do. Right hand. And so in verses 4 through 9, Solomon credits David with the exhortation get wisdom. Why would anyone listen to Solomon? Why would anyone listen to David? Because of their father, because of your father who said in 2 Corinthians 6.18, I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. best thing I could say to anybody who has a dysfunctional relationship with a mother or a father is the Lord is your father. The Lord desires to be a father to you. And He uses the phrase very specifically, I desire you for sons and daughters. So ladies and gentlemen, if you have a bad family relationship, The Lord is your Father. And He's the one to whom we turn, and He's the reason why we read the Proverbs at all. We have this amazing promise, both to Israel and to the church, I will be a father to you. And it's the good news, and it's the weight of fatherly authority in this book. It comes from our Heavenly Father. Verse 4 going on, and these are the words of David. He says, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Literally, get wisdom. Get understanding. Get going. Go get them. You need these things. This is what David says to his son Solomon. Get wisdom. Don't stand around waiting for it to come to you. You go get it. You go after it. Let me remind you of the difference between wisdom and understanding. Understanding is the word in the Hebrew, chokmah. And chokmah, understanding, means the accumulation of knowledge. So to get understanding means to do somewhat what you're doing right now. You're accumulating understanding, knowledge of the passage before us. Go get it. But different than that, wisdom is binah in the Hebrew. Not the accumulation of knowledge, but the application of knowledge. You can accumulate all you want. Lots of people accumulating knowledge. The question are is, are you applying what you are accumulating? It's the difference between the know-how and the know-why. Okay, Understanding is know-how. It's the accumulation of knowledge and knowing how to do things. But knowing why we do things. Knowing why we are who we are. Knowing why we're in this world in the first place. Both understanding, know-how, and wisdom, know-why are necessary but wisdom's best wisdom is best it's been said those who know how will always work for those who know why and it's true because those who know why those who have wisdom have vision they have vision it's the knowing why why do you go to church well because um, it, it helps me in my understanding of the bible um, Keeps me connected with my friends. um, Makes me feel a little better myself. That's all know-how. Why? Why? The know why. What is the vision, the long-term, the picture? What has God called you to see that draws you to be where He is? Proverbs 29.18, Solomon writes, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Without a vision, there's mob mentality, as we saw in Egypt recently, as we see in Libya. When the leadership goes berserk, When there's no vision given to the people, here's where we're headed, this is what we're doing, this is who we are and what we're about, the people get unrestrained. And nothing good comes out of a mob. We need both the know-how and the know-why. No problem, nothing wrong with the accumulation of knowledge. But if it's never applied, you never get from the how to the why. And that's critical in our following after Jesus. By the way, we need both know-how and know-why in the church. We need both for ministry and service to take place in churches. Acts chapter 6 verse 1 tells an interesting early story in the first century church. It says at this time, while the disciples were increasing, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic or Greek Jews <laughs> against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God listen, in order to serve tables serve tables, know how therefore they say brethren select from among you seven men of good reputation full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we may put in charge of this task we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and that's no lie But I noticed this as I was thinking through these things the apostle said we're going to focus ourselves on the know why prayer and the ministry of the word vision for where God is leading us and we're going to be passing that along that's our task our role that's our focus but we need some men among you to take care of this food distribution but notice for the men among them Peter and the apostles said we need guys who are full of the spirit and wisdom not only who know how to do it but who have the know why because even those who serve in the ministry of the church if you don't know why your service becomes dry and you'll burn out it was the introduction here of the idea of diakonos servants, deacons, ministers in church they must be godly men with know-how but also with know-why and the apostles were saying we're going to focus ourselves on the know-why listen, whether your personality is more know-how or know-why either way Jesus wants to fill you with the know why, with the wisdom. Jesus wants you to have vision, every one of us, regardless of how we function in our job lives. Some are in a blue-collar sector, they're doing the work, their hands to the nose to the grindstone, hands to the labor, doing the work, and the boss is telling them what to do, and the boss is the one sitting up in the office who's got the know why job. Both are important, both are valid, both are legitimate, but both, when you come before Jesus, receive the offering of wisdom. Don't underestimate yourself. You know, what one, one of the guys, and I'm going to pick on Joe for just a minute. One of our shepherds, who is a know-how kind of a guy, is Joe. He can fix anything. Um, he just knows how stuff works and he can get in there and pull stuff apart and fix it and this is is kind of how he thinks but you know what that's not where God has left Joe he's a shepherd because God has poured no why wisdom into his heart now Joe you might not believe that sometimes you might think oh I'm just the know how guy in fact I walked in here and he said I haven't really been doing my job this week you know the light's still out back there we barely have enough propane for this morning and I'm just falling behind on my job no that's no how stuff That doesn't take away from the fact that Jesus fills Joe with wisdom. All of us. He says, I want you to have wisdom. I want you to have vision. I want you to know why you do what you do. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Verse 6 going on. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her. She will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. Literally, verse 7 says, the beginning of wisdom, the phrase literally is, wisdom is the main thing. Wisdom's the primary thing. Get wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding as well. Get them both. Get wisdom and get with it understanding. Now, a couple of things to note. He says here, Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Going on there in verse 8. And wisdom is personified in the female and will be throughout the book. Why is that? We talked about it Wednesday. So if you weren't here, tough luck. (laughs) Moving on. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) We talked about it Wednesday. You can go back and listen to it. We are going to talk about that quite a bit more. In fact, after I get back from the Philippines, we will, we will take a Sunday morning and just look at that. Wisdom is a woman. Why? Why does Solomon decide or choose to personify wisdom in the female? We know wisdom comes from Jesus, first and foremost. right? He is the source of all wisdom. comes from Jesus. Comes from the Spirit, comes from the Father. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit, no offense, ladies, but are always referred to biblically as He. It's masculine. And yet at the same time, we talked about this a little more on Wednesday, there are feminine attributes to God the Father. What do you mean? I mean nurture and tenderness and compassion and grace, the more feminine side of things. Ladies, you are in the image of God, gentlemen, just like you are in the image of God. And So we draw these things all from our Father. But there's a reason Solomon refers to uh, wisdom in the feminine, and we're going to get to that and talk about that. So if that bothers you, don't worry about it. We're going to come back and look at that a little closer later on. Now, some have said these opening chapters of Proverbs. and if you just start in chapter one and read through about chapter five or so, you might feel this way. they seem like a sales pitch. Over and over, Solomon is trying to get his sons to buy into this idea of wisdom. Get wisdom, acquire wisdom. Hold on to my words, hold fast to my words, get wisdom. And it's just over and over. And you might think, isn't this overkill? You know, can't we just have a couple of verses and then get on into the meat of the Proverbs? Now, I found myself wanting this early on in the week. You know, I get it, I get it, get wisdom. Okay, can we get to the wisdom? That's what I want to do. Why is Solomon spending so much time, so much emphasis before getting into the meat? And I think the reason is because, well, many children, all children, like Solomon's sons, just aren't listening. And you've got to say it over and over and over. Five times we asked Hayden to get the garbage cans up yesterday. Guess where the garbage cans were when we got home yesterday? Down. Are you listening? And so Solomon is saying again and again, you've got to get wisdom. He is emphasizing it over and over because, well, it takes a few times for us to start to realize that. Some of us just need convincing that wisdom is that important a thing. And so he's taking his time to hammer this point home. The problem is this with, with children, but I think with all humanity in our nature, there's that desire for instant gratification that supersedes the patient pursuit of godly wisdom. I want it now. And God's saying, well, you're not going to have it now. In fact, I'm going to guarantee you something. I said last week, I believe it was, or week before last, that you are going to be changed by going through the study of Proverbs. Here's something else I want to promise you. Not as much as you would like. (laughs) Because a few weeks, a few months in this book is not going to take you far enough. The reality is, in this world, the experiential is immediate. And we see this going on in the church. I want the feelings, I want the experience, I want the buzz, and I want it now. And the Lord is saying, hey, the experiential is immediate, but experience, that's a different thing. And it requires a long, slow download. It takes time, it takes life, it takes persistence to get wisdom why haven't we gotten into some of the really juicy proverbs later on into this into this great book because god is waiting and leading us into it there's a picture here gang you got to you got to be persistent stay with it walk it out get into it 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 says this is the will of god your sanctification salvation is an instant thing Lord, I believe in You. I accept You as my Lord and Savior. You're saved. Boom! Sanctification, as we have talked about many times, is a life process. It is not instantaneous. The moment you've given your life to Jesus, if you were to die that day, you would be home, you'd be with Him. But as you continue to live, you continue to realize, wow, i got a lot to learn from the oldest to the youngest among us we are being sanctified. Hebrews 12:14 says pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the lord. He got to be sanctified. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1 according to the foreknowledge of god the father by the sanctifying work of the spirit obey jesus christ be sprinkled with his blood may grace and peace be yours to the fullest measure. It's not a quick fix. It's a long haul. But the benefits of pursuing wisdom patiently and down the road are huge. Verse 8 again, prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Four things mentioned just in those few verses. Guarantees if you will pursue wisdom. Exaltation, honor, grace, authority. Crown of beauty. These are long-term benefits of wisdom. Now you can choose the fast track. As many people try to do, bypassing the wisdom of experience for the foolishness of instant gratification, but instead of exaltation, honor, grace, and beauty, what you'll find yourself ending up with is condemnation, dishonor, judgment, and subjection or ugliness. And wisdom wants to teach you to avoid that. Go down... This road as opposed to that road. So this is David's instruction to Solomon. And now Solomon crowns it in the next three verses. And this is what I really wanted you to hear this morning. Beginning now in verse 10. Watch this. Hear my son and accept my sayings. And the years of your life will be many. That's an interesting promise. The years of your life will many will be many read on I've directed you in the way of wisdom I've led you in upright paths when you walk your steps will not be impeded and if you run you will not stumble take hold of instruction do not let go guard her for she is your life wisdom instruction is life to you if verse 10 is the case Hear my son and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. If that's true, why do the good die young? Hey, those who have walked with Jesus a long time, those senior saints who have lived well into their 70s, 80s, 90s, and pass away in the grace of God and go home to be with Jesus, that makes sense according to Solomon's words. Why do good people die young? Why do Christians, those who have given their lives to the Lord, die young while Keith Richards just lives on and on. (laughs) I don't get that. The pirate king of sex, drugs, and rock and roll just has a new book out, a biography, talking about all of his drug usage, and it's it's apparently just uh, uh, incredible. And he's going to be in the next Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Come on, man. How does that jive with what Solomon is saying? I mean, there's an exact opposite picture before us. Let me get more pointed. If wisdom means long life, why was the very embodiment of wisdom, Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, why was Jesus cut down at the age of 33? If wisdom means long life. And in fact, many great saints died young. Those who commit their life to Jesus Christ in the modern era, David Brainerd, missionary to Native Americans, died at the age of 29. David Brainerd had an incredibly fruitful ministry among Native Americans. And yet at 29 his life was over. Well, why is that? David Brainerd, I mention him because he inspired another young man, a man by the name of Jim Elliot. You've probably heard the name. Who was killed by the savage Waodani people in Ecuador? when he was only 28 years old. Gives his life to the Lord. Follows the Lord in mission work. Goes down to Ecuador to save people and he is killed before he has a single convert. Jim Elliot's wife Elizabeth will go back and stay there and there would be many converts later on because Jim was willing to give up his life. 28 years old. The average life expectancy of a missionary to Africa in the 19th century was 8 years. That's what you could plan on. If you're going to go work in Africa, you got about 8 years and that's going to be it for you. But they kept going. What about the four Christian missionaries who were recently murdered? You know who I'm talking about? Scott and Jean Adam, Phyllis McKay and Brian Riggle who in February of this year were executed by Somali pirates when their boat was taken over. They were on their way to Oman and what the news may not have reported, you may not have heard this, is those four people executed had a boatload full of Bibles. That's what they were up to. That's what they were doing. And they were all murdered for it. Why? If, if we're promised this long life, why do the good die young? Why do the followers of Jesus get snuffed out even at an early age? Why does this happen? Do these people all lack wisdom? Now, there's a reason for this. The Mishle's concept of long life, and get this, the Mishle's concept, the proverbial concept, even the biblical concept of length of days is not counted in terms of minutes or hours or even days, months, or years. The idea of length of life, long life, length of days, gang, that idea has to do with fullness of life, richness of life, depth of meaning. The word there in verse 10, that the years of your life will be many, it's the Hebrew word rabah, and it means abundant. Abundant or great, it's not necessarily quantity that we're talking about here, it's quality of life. That your days will be long. Each individual day in and of itself will be full and rich and meaningful if you walk in the path of wisdom. You may have technically, uh, quantitatively less days than somebody else. But those days will be better and fuller and richer and longer than any number of days spent outside of the pursuit of wisdom in Jesus Christ. Moses touts the same concept here of quality of life. Deuteronomy 5.16, he says, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be prolonged. He's not talking about addition of days at the end of life, a longer lifespan. He's talking about the prolonging of days. Individual days. That those days will be full and rich. Kind of like summertime in Washington. You know? Where the day starts at four thirty five a.m. and goes all the way till 10.30 or 11.00. And that's a great picture of what we're talking about. Long, full days. That's what the Lord offers. But when we take the path of foolishness instead of the path of wisdom, the days get short. And they get empty. Oh, there might be lots of hours, but those hours are a waste. Long, full, rich life. Two things about the quality of wisdom to note here. Just two and we'll be done this morning. Number one, the quality of wisdom brings an abundance of life now. An abundance of life. You know the verse, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. A thief has one purpose, to suck the life out of each and every hour. To make each day a waste of your time. The thief conquers when at the end of the day, you're sitting there going, wow, today I just, what a waste. That's what the thief does. Jesus comes that every day can be abundant. Every day can be full. The abundance of life. Now, when was the last time you ever heard somebody say, with the exception of Keith Richards, I wish I'd slept around more in my younger days. You know, I, I just wish I'd done more drugs. I wish I'd gotten drunk more often. Or, or here's a good one, if only I had sinned more when I was young. I really, I really wish I had done more bad things and gotten involved in more bad stuff. Now, I've been involved in ministry for a few years. Let me tell you what I hear more often than not from people. I regret the waste of time. I regret the foolishness of my past. I regret regret all those sinful choices. I wish I knew then what I know now. That's what I hear. I hear people seasoned in life looking back and saying, oh, if only I had known. Yesterday we were at the hospital visiting Ben and Joanna. Joanna's mother is, is lying in a mostly narcotic state now because the pain of her cancer is so bad and they're waiting on her to go home. There's nothing else to do. And we were talking, man, you've got to talk to Ben and Joanna. I mean, they are lights. They are just, it's incredible to see the faith in them and to see how joyful they are. Joanna said yesterday, she said, you know, 10 years ago, we couldn't have dealt with this. 10 years ago, we wouldn't have known what to do. She said, "We've, we've been, and this is not a commercial for the bridge. But she said, we've been at the bridge over the last seven years that we've been been in the Word. And she said, we've been so fed and so taught and we know what God wants and we've been walking this path so that now when this hits, we know, we're ready. We know what to do. This fullness of life that she's talking about. An abundant life that even in the face of death, there's abundance. There's overflow. And you see it in this young couple. It's just amazing. Younger people note this. 99% of the time, remorse and regret in older years is due to walking the path of foolishness in younger years. It's just, we all look back and go, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Verse 14, he describes that. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. In other words, don't even go near it. Something we Christians are very good at. What's the line? How close can I get to sin? That's what I want to know. I, I don't want to sin. I just want to get really close. Is this movie okay? Does God have a rating system? You know? I've told you before, working in youth ministry, teenagers, the number one question they asked about relationships was, how far is too far? And I knew the second I drew a line, that's how far they would go. <laughs> I get right up to the edge because that's what I want to do. Oh, no, Solomon says, don't even pass by it. You know what's interesting? The way of wisdom goes that way. The way of foolishness goes that way. They don't parallel. You don't hop back and forth. I'm wise today. Kind of stupid yesterday. Today I'm good. Now, if you start heading down the way of wisdom, you are denying foolishness and everything that it entails. Turn away from it, verse 15. Pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil. And they're robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. Isn't it incredible how people in, in sinful situations just want to draw other people in? You know? I want you to do what I'm doing. Come on, be a part of this. They eat the bread of wickedness. They drink the wine of violence. Verse 18, but the path of righteousness of the righteous is like the light of the dawn. You will never regret saying no to sin for the sake of life in Jesus. And I'm not talking just about eternity, I'm talking about the abundance of life now. Life in Jesus now is better, fuller, richer, more meaningful. It's worth the living. Solomon would write in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. You see, again, this man of great wisdom chose the path of foolishness. He proclaims wisdom in the Proverbs. We get the proclamation. We get all the wonderful teachings. And then Solomon heads down the path of foolishness. I've talked about wisdom. I'm going to try this. And by the time he is old and dying, he says, what a waste. What a waste of my life that was. Jesus says, I've come to give you the abundant life. The word abundant in the Greek is parisos and it means beyond measure or extraordinary. Who doesn't want to have an extraordinary life? Who doesn't want to have a life that's uncommon, that's amazing, that's abundant and full? You'll find it in Christ Jesus and you will find it in Christ alone. You will not find it anywhere else a lot of counterfeit out there but only in Jesus will you find the wisdom that brings the abundance of life. By the way, let me encourage you who are older in life and living with some regret of previous choices. Let me remind you that whether you've got days, months or years left in this life, God wants each day to be extraordinary. He wants each day to be full I think of, you know, a great example is Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000. We have a paltry piece of bread and some fish, and Jesus says, hey, if you will walk my way, that will feed you abundantly, and there will be leftover. And God will do that in your life today. The quality of your life can be full, regardless of what happened before. The quality of wisdom brings an abundance of life now, and secondly, The quality of wisdom means an inheritance of life then. And it's both. Jesus, the epitome of wisdom, was crucified young. But check it out. While the quality of his earthly life was undeniable, 33 fantastic, wonderful, life, world-changing years, even though that quality is amazing, it didn't end there. And his inheritance was waiting for him. Isaiah 53, verse 10 prophesied this. And I love this verse. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, which he did. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He will, If he'll be crushed, we'll see the days prolonged. And in the life of Christ is a picture of the life of the follower of Christ. Anyone who is filled with the wisdom of Christ has not only prolonged days now, but prolonged days then. The years will turn into millennia, will turn into eternity for us. And it's not going to be boring. It's not going to be cloud-hopping. It's going to be better and better and better and full and rich forever. Your inheritance... My inheritance is eternal life. Don't forget that. Don't forget you've got eternal life coming. Hey, a little vision for you this morning. Eyes wide open. You've got an eternity waiting for you in and with and through Jesus Christ. And with the family, the fellowship. I hope you're all getting along because we're going to be together for a long time. (laughs) Forever. By the way, Speaking of our wisdom of inheritance, back in chapter 3, verse 18, Solomon said, She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. Wisdom. Wisdom is a tree of life. A tree of life. Powerful symbol, powerful picture, especially for Jewish people. They would hear tree of life, and immediately they're back in the garden. Remember There were two trees. Actually, there were a lot of fruit trees in the garden. Two specifically named. Two specifically mentioned. The tree of life stood there in the garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve had full access to it. Encouraged by God. Hey, dig in. Eat of the fruit of the tree of life. You just eat and eat. That's great. You can be living forever. That's why this tree is here. Instead... Adam and Eve chose to eat the tree of another fruit and break the only commandment. This still amazes me. One commandment for Adam and Eve. Don't eat the fruit of this tree. Do whatever you want. But just don't eat that. And what did they do? They went for the one tree. That's what any of us would do. I only have one rule for you today. How can we break that? (laughs) And they went for it. What tree were they told not to eat from? How interesting. Get knowledge. Acquire wisdom. Understanding. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the one God said, Don't eat that. Don't eat that. The first mention of knowledge in the Bible is right there Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What was the problem? Why did God say not to eat of that tree? Now Solomon says, get knowledge. But then God said, don't eat it. Why? Okay, because, listen, because knowledge without wisdom is dangerous. The accumulation of information without the application of information. I don't want you to just accumulate info. And for us in the church, and especially in the bridge, for all the Bible study we do, may it never be about the accumulation of knowledge. I'm not saying don't accumulate. I'm just saying apply. That's what God is saying. Allow my spirit to work through your life in such a way that you're applying these things. You don't shut the book and go home. You keep the Word open in your life and you remain open to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to change you and alter you. You apply as well as communicate. James said in James chapter 3, verse 17, wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Adam and Eve chose knowledge over life. And wisdom, gang, is life. Wisdom is life to us. Now here's the good news. The tree of life shows up again. It didn't wither and die and get brushed away. Revelation chapter 2 verse 7, Jesus says to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And that wasn't enough. Jesus said it, but then he gave God, gave John a vision of it. Revelation 22 verse 1, he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It's in Revelation 22.14, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and may enter the gates into the city. An abundance of life now, the inheritance of life then, the tree of life is just waiting for you to eat forever. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul's prayer, he said, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance of the saints. Gang, it is abundance of life now. It is inheritance of life then. Open your eyes wide. The vision God gives us this morning is for full days now and full eternity then. A life that's full. Let's end on verse 18. Look at this. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The full day. I like that. The full day now. The full day then. That's the quality of wisdom. That's what wisdom promises. Ever had those days you just didn't want to see end? Just those really good days. Perhaps those long, lazy summer days in Washington where the sky is blue. And we're just thinking, Oh, I could just... Go on and on like this. Full days. And again, you have those in Jesus right now, the abundance of life. You have those in Jesus then, the inheritance of life. But note that, the path of wisdom, should we choose to walk that path, the Bible tells us it gets brighter and brighter and brighter until what He calls the full day. The full day. Zechariah says, In that day there will be no light, the luminaries will dwindle, for it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord neither day nor night. But it will come about that at evening time there will be light. Revelation 22.5 There will no longer be any night. And they will have no need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. You know, based on the signs of the times we're living in, I think that day is really close. Just around the corner. I believe the full day is almost here. I know I talk about this a lot, but again, it's one thing to know how to walk as a Christian. It's another thing to know why. One of the problems that we have in the church is when we get so earthly-minded we're no heavenly good. Be heavenly-minded. And you will be earthly good as well. This is the know-why. The vision of the full day coming. Keep that ever before you. There is a day coming. It's getting brighter. It's just around the corner. It is soon when we will have the fullness of life with Jesus forever. Peter says in 2 Peter 3.18, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.